Before we get to today's show, I need you to do something for me real quick. Please take our listener survey to help make CityCast Chicago a more useful podcast for you. It's at citycast.fm slash survey. I took it and I can tell you it ain't going to take you that long. And when you finish, you'll be eligible to win a $250 Visa gift card. Head to citycast.fm slash survey to help out your favorite podcast and have a chance to get paid in just five minutes or less. That's citycast.fm slash survey today on city cash chicago when summertime shot is in full swing and is scorching outside you ever wonder why some of our neighborhoods are much hotter than others like me i bet you thinking it's just about the lake yeah, that's not entirely the case. Tribune reporter Sarah McAreg's recent investigation found that between neighborhood design and longstanding inequities, Chicago's most vulnerable communities face even more danger from heat exposure. She's here to break down the investigation as well as steps the city must take to protect all of our neighborhoods. It's Wednesday, June 7th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is what Chicago's talking about. The city is currently looking for volunteers to help map heat disparities in Chicago, places where temperatures are higher and potentially more dangerous, but that map won't come out for months. So the Chicago Tribune decided to do it themselves. Reporter Sarah McAreg worked on the investigation. Sarah, welcome to CityCast. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you for being here. Right now, the weather's pretty mild. We're slowly dipping our toe into some summertime shy, but we know Heat waves are coming. Why is it important to know where the hottest spots in Chicago are? Well, the differences, you know, are, are not minimal. I would say that, first of all. Um, you know, in doing my research for the story that we did looking at uh, land surface temperatures across all of Chicago, you know, what we found ultimately were differences uh, by as much as 24 degrees between the areas with the coolest average temperatures over the last decade and the areas with the hottest average temperatures over the last decade. Right. And I when I'm thinking of weather patterns, right, if it's about to snow, I know that certain parts of the Chicagoland area are going to get more snow. I know that certain parts of Illinois are more susceptible to tornadoes. Certain parts of the city are more susceptible to flooding. But when you say there's a difference of maybe 24 degrees, I guess my brain just doesn't really have the language to make sense of that. So on like the hottest day in the summer, are you saying one neighbor? neighborhood can be at, you know, 75 degrees and in another neighborhood they're peaking in 90? Or is that like cumulatively across a, a summer? Uh, no, that is the case on a single day. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, after really digging into the data, I get nervous around citing, you know, kind of specific numbers unless I absolutely know that they're the case. I don't know that we would always see that margin, but we do know that that pattern holds. Partly what we're looking at is not a natural phenomenon. There are decisions that have been made about the built environment in Chicago that have resulted in the fact that some neighborhoods are much more industrialized. What people intuitively know is that, of course, you don't walk barefoot on the sidewalk at the height of summer in Chicago. It's mm -hmm. scorching. Imagine you're in a neighborhood where there's an industrial corridor nearby. That means a lot of warehouses. That means big, big rooftops. Sometimes they're black. 
you know, they, they really absorb and radiate heat. You have much bigger swaths of asphalt. It's not just a matter of, you know, certain neighborhoods having more industry. If they have more industry, that also implies what they have less of. Exactly. Less Less trees. What are those kind of practical dangers of extreme heat? You say we don't walk on the sidewalk when it's super hot outside, but but what are some of those other dangers of it just getting really scorching in our neighborhoods? Well, everyone is susceptible. Everyone is potentially susceptible to heat stress. And heat stress is basically when our body becomes so hot that its ability to regulate itself goes off kilter. It can be mild. Um, and it can also be serious to the point of being fatal. The researchers I spoke to talk about vulnerability, you know, in a number of dimensions. Um, you know, people who don't have air conditioning, for instance. Yeah, people with pre-existing medical conditions. Exactly. Yeah, as I was reading through your report, you know, according to the National Weather Service, heat is the deadliest weather phenomenon, killing more people in an average year than hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, and cold. We spend so much time talking about the dangers of all of these others. But when we start thinking about heat in the summer, I mean, obviously, so much of the conversation starts gearing around enjoyment, entertainment, being outside that we start to overlook these real consequences. Where are the hottest places in Chicago, Sarah? In general, you see a lot of overlap with, um, as I mentioned, places that are more industrialized. You know, there, there's a there's a huge belt um, on the southwest side of areas that are among the hottest. And whenever we say hottest, what we mean is um, places that are hotter than 90% of the rest of Chicago. We see that a lot on the southwest side. And I was going to say the southwest side, right? A largely uh, Latino population, right? I'm thinking over by like the airport, ton of asphalt, like former industrial sites, rail yards, where else? Uh, you know, in the northwest, um, you know, until I dug into this, I didn't realize that there was an industrial corridor on the northwest side. Um, and, you know, and we certainly see a part of the northwest side. Not that northwest isn't like all the way in the corner towards O'Hare, but, um, you know, north of the west side, there's just a pocket where there's a lot of heat. And then I will say, you know, there's 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 little there's little parts, not necessarily giant swaths of clusters and clusters of block groups, but you certainly see outliers, for instance, on the southeast side. You know, and that that's it's really important to sort of sit with that information because one of the things that again we intuitively know about weather in Chicago is that it's cooler by the lake. Right. That's what I was thinking when you first said Southwest and Northwest. Well, I was like, well, I understand so many other factors, but I'm like, they're also far away from this ocean. Is that impacting the temperature or is it not that simple? You know, a climatologist I talked to said the certainly the lake is uh, the terminology climatologists use is a, a, climate, a climate forcing element. So it, it, it does certainly impact our local weather. But that climatologist also went on, and who's the Illinois state climatologist, also went on to break down what we see in hotter areas, you know, than cooler areas, and the fact that it is the built environment. And so it is the case that if one looked at the map for one second, you know, they could say, well, that's just further from the lake. But if you actually um, sit with it a bit longer than that, you see little neighborhoods, you see little clusters that are closer to the lake, that are hotter than places that are further from the lake. And you also see 
areas that are further inland that are cooler, you know, than areas that are closer to the lake. So the pattern does not hold. Yeah. One of the examples you all gave is despite Chinatown being closer to the lake, it's uh, typically hotter than a place like Logan Square. And if you go through those two neighborhoods, you start to realize, like you said, from the built environment, when you're looking closer to Chinatown towards that sort of South Loop corridor, you see former industry there, right? And if these large industrial sites were a park, for example, then we would likely see cooler temperatures in those areas. Yeah, when you look at the map, parks like many of the other interventions experts talk about, have you know proven research behind them. There have been places mm-hmm. because what you can look at with satellite data is changes over time. So, you know, for instance, if a park is introduced, that is how researchers have been able to study and understand that indeed temperatures come down. So if people really wanted to get into this at their community level, at their neighborhood level, for instance, there's a vacant lot. Um, you know, and perhaps that can be transformed. That's something that can be looked at over time. Sarah, almost 30 years ago, Chicago experienced the heat wave of 1995 that killed upwards of, I believe, 700 people. If unaddressed with the differences that climate change is bringing, if we don't address this, are we looking at more heat waves like the one in 1995? Yeah, the way that um, a researcher I spoke to put it is that we will see more heat waves. Um, she mentioned 1995, and, and I would also say that there have been heat waves since that have been deadly. Climate change is making heat waves more frequent, making them more intense. We're also seeing heat sooner in the summer, and we're also seeing it linger longer. But the reason why taking into account these local differences is so important is because there is a margin of, of temperatures, you know, where we can make a difference. You know, a lot of climate news, a lot of climate information is very doomsday. I think the reason why we're much more familiar with thinking of people sadly being under threat of hurricanes and, you know, and wildfires is because these are these are these big public, huge phenomena that we're looking at. Heat is often called, you know, the the silent killer. It's not something that we see, you know, right in front of our face that arrests our attention. And but the reason that I say there's something promising in there is just like climate change is going to impact our world for the next 30 years. On the local level, we can actually really shrink that timescale. What I mean is that what we do or what we don't do to dampen temperatures by adding you know, more vegetation or other interventions, um, what we do to dampen temperatures or what we do to amplify them. Are we introducing you know, more and more industrial areas? Those decisions you know, and, and, and how those play out, those have immediate consequences. So the promising thing is that whereas you know, whatever, whatever we try to do to try to reverse you know, um, some of the, the worst impacts of the climate crisis, in some ways, that won't play out, you know, for decades. But when it comes to urban heat, it's possible to make an immediate difference. What are some of the solutions to this? We've talked about parks, of course. There's also, you know, interesting technical innovations, some of which, you know, are, are more simple than people might guess. Um, researchers found that painting roofs white 
white reflecting the sun rays rather than sort of absorbing and radiating heat actually made more of a difference than introducing trees, which isn't to say you have to choose between one another. It's also important to just not limit the conversation, but it's important to take you know, certain technical in- innovations and, and evidence to heart. Because another thing that the Lightfoot administration highlighted in their climate action plan, you know, is, is incent- you know, promoting green roofs. And when I talked to a climatologist about that, you know, what I learned is that it really depends because environmental science is complicated. It actually could do things like, you know, if we had a bunch of green roofs in the wrong place, it could even do things like shorten the lake breeze inland. Um, it could reduce air circulation that takes pollution up and out, um, you know, from the ground. And so it's really important to get in there on the specifics of what works, you know, in a particular hot spot. The other thing that researchers pointed out is that it also is very important you know, the other part of that equation is what do the people that live there want? What are they saying about what would make the heat, the heat exposure that they experience easier? Exactly. And I'm thinking about like the local ordinance that means uh, buildings have to provide more air conditioning at an early time for residents and thinking more cooling centers in neighborhoods. You also uh, talked about which neighborhoods have like uh, transportation hubs or, or shields where people can sit out waiting for public transit versus just being exposed to the heat. And we found large swaths of the city, you know, of, of the city's sort of most vulnerable communities don't have access to cooling centers. The researchers that I worked with, they defined access as walking distance within a half mile. Um, and, you know, honestly, from reporting that I did last summer and, you know, involving um, air conditioning protections, you know, one of the one of the people I spoke to, you know, was a senior who didn't live in senior housing because the new amendment um, has an additional protection for people who live in senior housing, but not all seniors live in senior housing. He also didn't live too far from a cooling center, but it was not reasonable for him to get there. So this dif- this definition of access, you know, it, is is important and it's, you know, it's informed by climate health researchers. I mean, when we have these talks about climate change, I feel like we know that the city of Chicago, the federal government have to make an initiative and it won't be as simple as the little things you and I do uh, to make a difference. But what are some of those things that you and I can do on a on an individual level? Because I'm not going to paint the roof of this apartment building. Right. Um, I, I don't necessarily have access to plant trees up and down 51st Street. So so what's something I can do to just maybe engage this conversation? I think it's a great question. First, I would like to share an anecdote, which is just that whenever I started this story, I was staying in Chinatown, you know, an apartment building where there there was no front yard, there was no side yard, there was no backyard, it was entirely asphalt. And, you know, the neighbors below me, you know, not seeking to, you know, not seeking to sort of introduce a climate intervention, but they, you know, they planted a garden, they were growing squash. I think people who've been around Bridgeport and Chinatown may have seen these hanging gardens, you know, mm-hmm. very sort of a rigged situation, like a, a like laundry lines, you know, hanging above what was just an asphalt front yard. I think just having a connection to nature, having a connection, you know, to vegetation and to land, I think that those impulses, those interests, you know, are, are also just worth pausing and considering. And then as far as, you know, your, 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 the, the gist of your question around, you know, what people can do, people 
could look out for vulnerable members of their community, no matter where they live. Um, So it could be the case that in the hottest parts of the city, you know, people might want to talk with their neighbors about a vacant lot, you know, and, you know, and perhaps that means bringing, bringing conversation to their local officials, to their aldermen. And so even if you're just an individual who cares, the city of Chicago does have a 311 service in which you can request a well-being check. Does the city, as of right now, have a plan to enact any of these changes in a systemic way? I know we have a climate action plan. There's also a tree planting initiative. But is there sort of a guiding light behind addressing these disparities? Specifically when it comes to heat, no. I would say that, you know, certainly the implication of the heat campaign that the city is taking part in right now is to make good on those insights. We have not seen yet how exactly they intend to do that. Um, You know, a question that I have outstanding, you know, to the Johnson administration is what are those priorities in general? And then also, how does the administration, you know, intend to assess its heat management and mitigation plans? The difference between those two, management is a matter of there is a heat advisory day, the cooling centers become open. Um, you know, public information, you know, communication plans get underway. That's heat management. Heat mitigation encompasses all the stuff we're talking about. And so we don't have an answer yet, you know, in terms of how the city will dig into heat mitigation. We certainly hope that the, the insights of the mapping campaign will be made good on. But it's going to be very important to continue to ask those questions to make sure if the mayor indeed resurrects the Department of Environment, um, which was a campaign commitment, um, his, his environmental justice plan talks about staffing it with um, subject matter experts. There were a few examples of subject matter experts included in, in that plan, um, and heat wasn't among them. But obviously it could be. And that's one of the things I've appreciated so much about this conversation is because climate change obviously is sort of the title headline. But as you break into that, it is very complicated. And we talk about air pollution in this city due to centuries of industry. We talk about, well, what are going to be the effects of flooding and erosion along the lake and adding this vernacular for discussing the impacts of heat and and those disparities across the city, I think is so crucial. Sarah, you have given us so much to think about and so much to to work on moving forward. I appreciate you taking time to stop by CityCast Chicago today. I so appreciate being on and the environmental justice reporting that you all have been doing. Uh, So thanks so much for having me. You can see the heat map Sarah and her colleagues created, as well as a map of cooling resources at chicagotribune.com slash heat. The city is also undergoing its own effort to map heat disparities, and they're looking for volunteers. Check the link in the show notes for more info. Before I let you go, a little bit of news. The We Walk for Her March to raise awareness for missing black women and girls across Chicago is today at 5 p.m. in Bronzeville. The march will kick off at 35th and King Drive. Qualified Illinoisans are going to get about $95 from Google after the company settled a lawsuit claiming it violated Illinois' Biometric Information Privacy Act. Similar settlements have been reached with Snapchat and Facebook. There's some good news to get you through. 
Karaoke Storytellers is Sunday at Shubas in Lakeview. I'll be hosting, and trust me, we got one of our best lineups ever, including Chicago's number one street performer, Andrew David. If you're not familiar with my boy Andrew, go back and listen to our episode with him. I'll drop a link for you. As always, we appreciate you for listening. Please head over to citycast.fm slash survey to take our listener survey and be entered for a chance to get a $250 Visa gift card. I'll be here bright and early tomorrow for the start of our summer entertainment guide. We're talking all things Pride Month. I'll talk to you then. Peace. I I thought it was decent. Uh, Let's just... Uh, you you tell me, you tell me.